You are Locked On Cowboys, your daily podcast on the Dallas Cowboys, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to a special edition of the Locked On Cowboys podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Marcus Mosier of Bleacher Report. You can find me on Twitter at Marcus Mosier. And tonight, I'm joined by a good friend of the show, Joey Ikes of FanRag Sports. You can follow him on Twitter at Joey Ikes. Joey, how are you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing very well. It's uh, exciting to be here. I, uh, I'm a religious listener of the show, and I enjoy the work you guys, you and Landon do. And so uh, it's uh, an honor to be here, for sure. Well, thank you, but Lanny cannot join the show tonight. He'll be back tomorrow, and we will preview the Loser Leaves Town match uh, of the weekend between the Seahawks and the Cowboys. But coming up on today's show, we dive into what we learned about the Cowboys team during the six-week six, six week absence excuse me, of Ezekiel Elliott. Joey has some hot takes to share with us, and we will discuss the Cowboys' wide receiver core. But first, let's dive right into why I'm outraged about Ezekiel Elliott's media session. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure every other Cowboys podcast will make sure they cover you on why they are outraged about Ezekiel Elliott. We're not going to do that because, I mean, we just don't care, right? Absolutely. All right. No big deal. Yeah. Instead, let's review those Cowboys, uh, those six games without Zeke. Joey, we're going to ha- go ahead and start with this. What was your biggest takeaway from the Cowboys in those six weeks that they did not have Elliott? I think it's just how important he really was. Like, we all really felt like, like in the back of our minds, we knew just how important Ezekiel Elliott was and how different he was than anything else they could put on the field. Um, and in spite of that, like it just got proven over and over and over again over the course of those six weeks. And like, even after the first three weeks when they kind of got things turned around and were able to put some wins together, um, it just, you could just tell it was just different. The offense mm-hmm. that for, for three weeks, four or five weeks before that was unstoppable. Like you just couldn't, they were 30 points a week every week and it didn't matter what you did. Like they went from that to, they couldn't score 10 points in a game. Like it was crazy how bad they got all of a sudden. And so it, the man is extremely important to this offense and whether it's running the ball past pro, which I think is like super overrated for running backs anyway, um, catching the ball out of the backfield, all that stuff. Like Alfred Morrison, Rod Smith played very well. Like if you just watch them and evaluate them in a vacuum, not knowing that Ezekiel Elliott existed, then you'd be pretty happy with what you got out of those guys. But with, with the fact that you do know what Zeke is and you do know what he does and what this offense does with him there, it's, uh, it's just unbelievable how important he really is. Just how much he moves the needle for a defensive coordinator in terms of what they're going to try to do to slow down the Cowboys offense. Yeah, and where I really noticed it was not necessarily in the stats because you look at Alfred Morris' stats and you look at Rod Smith and they played well, like you mentioned. But it's just that physicality and that edge that the Cowboys' offense was missing. You could tell. I mean, if you just showed the, somebody who has never heard of Elliott, you just showed them the two, you know, two games. You can see that this team did not have that physical edge that they've had for the last, you know, two seasons with with Zeke. So that's what I noticed, and I'm, I'm really excited to see what he looks like this week um, and what the offense plays like because they have just a totally different energy about them when. Zeke's on the field compared to where he when he's not. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And I think that it played itself out perfectly 
uh, on the the goal to go series at the end of the Oakland game yes, this last yes. week. They, they've got Alfred Morris in there, and Alfred Morris is a really good running back, and he proved it for the last six weeks that he's still a really good NFL running back. He's still a starting quality NFL running back for a lot of teams, but when it came to goal to go in the fourth quarter of a game with an opportunity to essentially ice the game and put it completely away or guarantee at worst probably a tie um, and going to overtime, he, his running style isn't as conducive to success in short yardage and goal-to-go type situations as, like you said, that just physical, just just relentless running style that Zeke Should they have had Rod Smith on, in there? I, 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 mean, I thought I, the whole time I, that I he's agree. a better yes. short yardage back than what Morris is. Yeah, I think so. And I'm not a big, like, your short yardage running back has to be a big guy kind of thing because I think that's a little bit overrated. Like, yes, to a certain extent, you want a guy that's not going to get stonewalled when he gets hit. So the size kind of plays into it. But the main thing for me is a guy who's going to find a hole and just hit it and not, like, he's not going to hesitate at the line of scrimmage. He's going to find a hole and he's just – yeah, exactly. And so – and Alfred is, like, a super patient runner. And we've seen, like, John Owning has shown this on on his Twitter. And you you do a great job of showing it, too, just how patient Alfred is as a running back and how well he sets up second-level defenders to be able to make that one cut and get in a hole – and he's set. He's pressed the front side hole well enough to where the bat, the backside defender starts to scrape over the top, and he cuts back into that hole that was vacated on the backside by that play by that defender who's scraping over the top. You can't really do that <laughs> when you're down at, at third down and a half yard at the to to win the game in the fourth quarter because nobody's scraping over the top. They're just flying downhill at you. And so you've got to just kind of pick the smallest gap you can and and drive yourself down in there. And I think Rod did do a better job of that. And the weird thing is it felt like they utilized Rod Smith as like that goal line short yardage kind of, if you're talking a fantasy lens, kind of touchdown poaching back over the course of the last five weeks. And then all of a sudden in the fourth quarter of a must-win game to save your season, they decided to change up the path that they were going to use. But, you know. I'm just a blogger, so whatever. <laughs> a blogger from your mom's basement. Um, yeah, yeah exactly. I want to touch on Dak in a second because I think he was really, in a lot of ways, their go-to red zone runner in those six games without Zeke. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think he ran for four touchdowns in those six games without Zeke. And I want to touch on what we kind of figured out about Dak, but let's pause for a second so I can tell you guys about Draft.com. Fantasy football fans, listen up. It's not too late to join the 500,000 people that have already downloaded Draft this season. You get to play in a real-life snake draft, but you're done in under five minutes, and they last for just one week. You can join one right now for Week 16. The best part, play for cold, hard cash, and get this, your chances of winning are 80% better than on the salary cap sites. All new players get a free entry into a real money draft when you make your first deposit, but you have to use the promo code LONFL. That's right, play a real money game for free just by using the promo code LONFL, and it gets even better. Draft is so sure that you'll love it that they're even offering listeners a money-back guarantee up to $100. Just search Draft in the App Store or go to Draft.com and come play for free right now with promo code LONFL. All right, so let's talk about Dak. Um I would say on Cowboys Twitter, which there's a lot of us, you were probably the last one to kind of come to the conclusion that Dak was going to be a franchise quarterback last year. I, I kind of remember us 
really picking apart Dak's game uh, late into the season because we were so used to Romo and all that kind of stuff. But we we picked apart his game because of what defenses were doing to the Cowboys. Basically, they made Prescott's life easy. He had pretty defined throws. Um, the route combinations were easy. I think in these six games without Zeke, teams now adjusted their defenses from focusing on Elliott and the offense line to now being able to put all their resources into stopping Prescott. What did you see from Prescott in these six games that either concerned you or that you're excited about heading forward? Well, I think there's a combination. And the thing about last year is, is for me, it didn't really have as much to do with we were used to Romo or anything like that. But my process when I'm watching film is I'm evaluating a player against what he sh- exactly what he should be doing and the way he should be looking at a defense. And, and I, you guys talked about it on, on your show earlier in the week about how you don't necessarily always know what the progression was. And you guys used the example of the, the play in the red zone when Witten ran the stick nod on the RPO and wound up wide open like he has so many times and Dax hit him so many times. And Landon brought up the fact that it looked like it could be a constraint play. Right. And, and the thing is, is that, is that like – no, we don't necessarily know what the progression is, but one of the things that, speaking of Tony Romo, one of the things that Tony Romo being in the booth, I think should have revealed to kind of the general population is that the NFL game and the quarterback position in the NFL is probably like 75% pre-snap. Like you can tell so much about what a defense is doing before the snap. And then all you have to do is verify it and react after the snap. And like and Tony, that's how Tony's able to call out the plays before the snap. And he's able to, in the two-minute situation, point to the two high safeties and point to the middle of the field and circle the area at 12 to 15 yards in the middle of the field and say, this is where the ball needs to go. And then the tight end runs to the middle and he gets hit with a pass in the middle of the field. And everybody's like, oh, my God, he's brilliant. But it's like <laughs> you can you – can, and it's, he's, he is – but you can see it before the snap and the way the defense lines up, the leverage of the corners, the depths of the safeties, all these kinds of things give you hints. And my problems with Dak last year and some of the things that I've seen this year when he struggled is he doesn't necess- he doesn't always process that information before the snap. And if he is processing it, he's not using it. So there's a, there's a disconnect between what well, he's seeing how, how or what he should is, be seeing it. How much of that is him just being a young quarterback? Or is that something that you kind of right. come right in the league with? Well, I mean, I think that like, some of it is is can be learned. Like recognizing stuff before the snap and seeing – like just seeing it over and over. Like, okay, when I get single high, I know that this is the way that the coverage is going to work out underneath. Or when I get two safeties deep, this is the way it's going to work out. This is what I need to look for post-snap to tell me exactly where I need to go with the ball immediately. Um, but some of it is kind of innate, right? It's just a feel thing of, okay, this is the cornerback's off. I can get this slant thrown in here. Or, hey, there's a rat player in the middle of the field. Maybe I don't need to pretend – like my corner, my my wide receiver is going to just keep running a slant right into mm-hmm. the rat while, while they're playing zone coverage. So some of that stuff is innate. Some of it stuff it can be learned. Um, and that those were the things that I was trying to point out. Was like, hey, 
the, the coverage pre-snap says it's going to be cover two and you should throw a seven route against cover two or attack the middle of the field. And the Cowboys have the perfect route combination called. So you know he should be looking at that route combination against that coverage and he just doesn't. And so those are kind of the, some of the kind of things, or he does and he misses the throw. So those are some of the kind of things that had me concerned last year. And some of the things have gotten better this year. Um, he's been significantly more aggressive in between the hashes and the numbers and kind of in the intermediate to deep area. So we've seen him make, he made the stick throw in the tight window to, uh, to Witten. I think it was on like third and 11 or third and 12 for 12 or 15 yards for a first down. He made the crazy throw, the real high throw to, to Dez. I think it was against Kansas city right before the half on Mm -hmm. like third and 18 or something like that for the first down. So we've seen him make, those kind of aggressive, I call them big boy quarterback plays, like the, the okay, we're not just going to drop back and, and take the check down here and let him run six yards and get tackled. Like, we're going to drop back here, understand the coverage, and attack it and put the ball where my receiver can make a good play. <clears throat> so I think some of the things that we've learned, to get back to your question now that I've ranted for five minutes about, about <laughs> what your question wasn't, um, <laughs> we to get back to your question, what we've learned over the last six weeks is that he still isn't quite there as a pure passer to be able to carry the team on his own without a significant amount of help in terms of the like an elite level running game. The Cowboys ran the ball really well. They're still third in the league in rushing, I think, when they've been without their their lead dog number four overall pick running back for and part six of that, weeks. Part of that too is his rushing ability. He had 125 oh, rushing yards in those six games. Yep. So he he's yeah, absolutely, absolutely contributing to that as well. 100 percent and and that was kind of the point that i was getting at is that unless he has an elite running game to to force the defense into certain coverages in certain situations to give his receivers a schematic advantage um that he can take advantage of then he has to be a bigger part of the running game in order to create those same disadvantages to a defense. So if a defense doesn't have to counter the Cowboys running game by loading the box and leaving guys outside one-on-one and keeping a single safety in the middle of the field, they can kind of they can play different coverages, they can play quarters, they can play two, uh, those kind of things. And he's got to be willing to get out of the pocket and make some plays on his own with his feet. And we saw that against Washington where he scrambles up the middle of the field on third and five. It's the first first down they have in the whole game at the end of the first quarter. Mm-hmm. And then two or th- and then he makes boom, 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 like three really, really big, massive throws out of four throws, I think. It was the throw to Dez and then the throw to Beasley and then the throw to Witten for the touchdown. And all three of them were big boy quarterback throws. And you could tell the run got him into the flow of the game. Which, and which is why to- I don't understand why they don't open up games with designed runs. You can run that read option play where Witten comes around and lead blocks for him to start a game off. I think that would kind of – we know he gets amped up to start games. I think that would be the perfect way to kind of settle him in early in games. Yeah, or even like uh, I think that one of the things that he even a, a design quarterback draw where it's yes. a, a get get in get in empty like they love to do on second down, right? They love to get an empty on second down and whenever they come out and empty, spread everybody out and have him catch the snap, take a half a step and then just take off up the middle, let Frederick get out in front of him because you wind up in empty, the defense is going to spread out with you and most of the time you're not you're not going to have an A-gap defender in that situation. So your center is going to be able to get out on the Mike linebacker who might still be in the middle of the field and you, even if you get three yards on it, okay, he's got his legs underneath him, you hand 
handed the ball to, to Zeke on first down, of course. <laughs> so, and then, so on, on on second and six, after he gets you four yards on first down, you run Dak on a quarterback draw for three yards. And he's one of the things he's done a really good job of, with the exception of that speed option play where he kind of got hit in like that freak angle that caught his hand bad. He does a really good job of making sure he doesn't get decked yes. on these runs. So I, I don't have as much concern about, oh, he's going to go out and he's going to get clocked and he's going to get knocked out of a game or something. That doesn't necessarily concern me. Just like I don't get concerned that Zeke's going to get hit in a way that's going to knock him out of a game because he does a good job of protecting himself. <coughs> Excuse me. But but he um, he needs that to get him in the flow of the game. There's a lot of times where he comes out early. You can just see, like especially on Sunday Night Football, where they kind of show the close-ups of the players before the game, and you can just see he's just soaked before the game. <laughs> and he comes out, and, and at least one of the first few throws he makes is gonna sail. It just oh, happens, yeah, absolutely. And it's it, whether it's he's too hyped up, he's too jacked up before the game, or he's sweaty, or something's going on. A ball or two is gonna sail on him early in the game, and then all of a sudden he'll make a play or two with his legs. Something like that will happen, and he'll kind of settle in. And I agree with you. They there are things they can do from a design standpoint to put him in position. And they've used in the past. They've used the boot game to help him settle in, where he gets his legs moving and he doesn't have to run and take a hit. He can just boot out. But these guys are they were playing. They were staying wide on him against the. And that's the the impact of Zeke we were talking about before. Is that it? It takes away some of the boot game, not because you can't run the ball, but because they just. Frankly, they don't care if you cut it up and get four or five yards on first down because they're not going to let Dak boot out the backside right. and get 30 yards on a pass when they don't think you're going to get 30 yards on a run like Correct. you might with Zeke. So, it, again, Zeke just puts them in such a uh, – and the combination of Zeke and Dak's ability as a runner and passer on the move really puts defenses in like a crazy bind in the front seven, which – causes them to add personnel, which then causes them to be in a bad position on the back end, and then the the circle of life continues, right? Let's pause for a second tell you, so I can tell you guys about Pro Football Focus. If you love Pro Football Focus as much as we do, and you want access to their incredible database of stats and information, please go to iTunes and leave a review for the Locked on Cowboys podcast. Make sure you include your Twitter handle in the review. Each week, we will choose a random winner from all that left reviews. If you win, you will receive a Pro Football Focus Ed subscription. Worth a, It's a $40 value. You will have access to NFL player grades, snap counts, positional ranks, fantasy projections, rankings, tools, and charts, PFF Fantasy, DFS, DFS and NFL draft articles, as well as team and player pages featuring Pro Football Focus signature stats, all you have to do, go to iTunes, leave a review, and your Twitter handle, and you will be eligible to win. I want to talk a little bit about the receivers because there's been a lot of discussion uh, about what do these receivers need to do to get on the same page as Prescott, uh, what they should do this offseason, should they cut Dez, should they cut Williams, uh, should they draft one. How big of a need do you think wide receiver is heading into 2018? And is there anything they can do about it? Because we know that heading into next season, they're projected to spend the most cap dollars on wide receiver next year. So what should the plan be at receiver next season? Yeah, I, that's like a super complex question. Because like you said, I, I looked it up not long ago. They literally have the second highest cap hit in the NFL for their top three receivers next year. Yep. I think the 
the Packers are the only ones with more, and they're probably going to wind up cutting Jordy Nelson because I think he's 33 next year. So they're the they're going to wind up probably unless some team gives a couple of wide receivers like big massive contracts in free agency. Jag- Jacksonville or somebody like that pays Allen. They're going to be in the top five no matter what. Yeah, they're going to be they're going to be in the top five for wide receiver pay of their wide receivers that play significant snaps, and they throw the ball less than any team in the NFL. Like they're the team that runs the ball more than any other team in the league. And it's pretty consistent that they've been that way the last three, four, five years. Well, here's and, well, the, here's the other five. thing as well, is if you add in tight end, they're spending almost $50 million on wide receivers on and tight ends. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, and, and they throw the ball less than anybody. And, you, and so it's just this weird conundrum of the amount of resources they've allocated to the passing game versus the amount that they use the passing game. And so they're like, there's just this really kind of complex, hard situation. And this is one of those decisions that I'm like, man, I'm really glad that I'm not in the Cowboys front <laughs> office right now. Like so, so many of these, de- these decisions that they face, I'm like, man, just put me in the front office. I'll make the decision. We'll roll. Let's go. This we'd have got tough. the first round pick right last year. We'd get, we'd get all that stuff right. Whoa, but whoa, uh, are you saying but, tacos uh, a bust? Come on now, Joe. I'm just saying <laughs> that there, there were other players who probably would have contributed more early and could contribute as much or more later on in their careers than Juju. Taco is has or will. So um, <laughs> so we'll we'll can we'll that's a sidebar we'll, we yeah, can we'll go save to that at a later date. But yeah. Yeah, exactly. But but like I said, we but this one's not one that I want to be a part of, right? Because do you can can you go to the heartbeat of your team? Like can you go to Des Bryant and say, look Des, we appreciate everything you've done for us. But like we can't pay you seventeen million dollars this year, bro. Like we've we've got to knock that down no, to that, like eight that million happen. dollars. That won't happen. Exactly. That's not going to happen. They, that's a conversation you can't even like cross the the threshold of having, right? So you can't go there to knock it down. Terrence Williams is guaranteed his three million dollar base salary this year. Even if you cut him, it costs you like seven and a half million dollars. He's not to, leaving. To have him, right? He's not leaving. Like the only option there would be to pull like on a much lower scale, kind of pull what the Texans pulled with Brock Osweiler, where they had a bunch of guaranteed con- guaranteed salary left on his contract, so they traded him to somebody that could absorb the contract. But um, but, the but here's what like, I think you can do with Williams, though. I, I think you can do with Williams what you kind of did with Tyrone Crawford. He's not worth the contract that you're paying him. But if you reduce his role, I still think you can get value from that player. If you have Terrence Williams uh, doing the Noah Brown role, I, I think he can do that. And I think you're going to be happy with him at that spot if you can find another receiver on the outside, if that makes sense. Right, but but that's the problem, is that to get the guy that they view as the the guy who can be the number two, then you've got to spend a pick on that. Like to get a guy who can walk in immediately and do it, you've got to spend a pick on that. That then you're adding another salary that is is up there in a range that is going to put you in the $52, $53 million range of what you're paying wide receivers and tight ends. And it's just like craziness to think about the idea of doing that. So again, there's just this really weird conundrum. The most likely guy contract wise to not be here next year is Cole Beasley. But, and when you think about the way he's played this year and the fact that his de facto replacement is probably already on the roster mm-hmm. on a rook fourth round rookie salary, like that one makes some sense. But then it's like, man, that guy has literally been their most valuable third down weapon for the last like three or four years until this year. And and the only reason it hasn't been this year, or a lot of the reason, is because of the coverage that now gets dedicated to him, which is why Dez is getting so many third down targets and stuff like that. So there's, like I said, there's all this stuff that plays into it, and it's a really hard conversation. I think, like, 
if you could grab a wide receiver and drop him onto this team and make this team like a million times better for me, if you put Stefan Diggs yes. at, at yes. Z for the Cowboys, like you're not stopping this offense like ever. Like nobody is stopping this offense. I don't care if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars. I don't care if you're the Philadelphia Eagles. You're not stopping this offense because that guy's getting open against anybody one-on-one, against any number two corner one-on-one. And if you decide to put Dez against the number two, even if you give him safety help, he's going to kill the guy on slants all day. And you're just going to like – and then you got the running game situation, so you can't help Dez. Then you got Dez on a number two, and you're just going to kill – so it becomes like – I mean, you could put Odell Beckham there, but that's like super unreasonable, right? Right. (laughs) um, So like – yeah, exactly. Like I've said before, like if the Giants don't want him, he can come play Z for me and catch 45 balls for 1,000 yards every year or because he's going to get like 30 yards of catch because he's going to be so wide open right. all the time. But, again, there's just the opportunity to improve this offense like substantially comes in the pass catchers, right, in, in changing out the, the pass catchers that they have from two down, four, and and – we can talk about the the one a little bit, but we don't need to necessarily do that. But <clears throat> from changing the guys from two down to more dynamic players, but the problem is they've got so much money and so many picks and Terrence Williams and I mean he's a veteran, so you don't think about the pick as much. But they got so much money and all that stuff tied up into the guys they have. The idea of doing an overhaul like they did with the secondary or with the offensive line in the pass catchers, which is where your next kind of big jump could come from, is it's like not reasonable to think of happening until 2019 or later. And so it's just, it's a, again, it's the, it's a, it's the one situation that I wouldn't want to be a member of the front office for trying to figure out. Yeah. So I think they have a little bit more options than what people want to believe. Uh, I think you, you hit the nail on the head with Beasley. I think he's probably the most movable asset for a few different reasons. He's due $4 million. I believe he's going to be 29 next year. But I also think he's got the most value in terms of if they want to trade a receiver because teams aren't going to be afraid to take on a one-year, four million dollar slot receiver if they can upgrade their offense. So if you know if if Cleveland, who has Josh Gordon and um, Corey Coleman on the outside, if they want to throw a, a day three pick at Beasley and kind of solidify their slot receiver for you know a, a pretty cheap price, I can see that. Uh, Beasley's still a good player, I, but I can see the Cowboys moving on uh, sooner rather than later on Beasley because of Switzer. I also think there's the, the possibility, and I've talked about this on the show, but potentially moving Dez into the slot in more of a full-time role, you might be able to maximize his value a little bit more there, uh, kind of transition him for that second life as a slot receiver. You know, the same way that we've seen Larry Fitzgerald and Anquan Bolden and even like Heinz Ward in Pittsburgh, a lot of these older guys coming into the slot, being able to use their body to win. And then if you can find another outside receiver, you can do it. We've had this discussion on Twitter before. But I'm not opposed to continuing to throw draft picks at receiver because this is a passing league. It's a playmaker league. You need to have guys on the outside that can win and take over games. We don't really have one of those right now. There, there's one guy on this roster, when healthy, uh, I think can consistently beat man coverage, and that's Dez. So I think they, they've got to find another receiver uh, this offseason, whether it's in free agency or via trade. Uh, one last question I want to get to. We've kind of talked about some of the problems of the Cowboys offense. You know, we, the pass catchers are not winning against man coverage. Uh, some of Dak, Dak's uh, problems with his inaccuracy and lack of anticipation at time. With Zeke coming back, 
does he solve all the problems of this offense, and do they instantly come back to being this 30-point-a-game offense, or do you think it's there's still deeper problems that even Zeke is not going to be able to solve? Well, I think a lot of that depends on, like, the question we don't know is, does having Zeke saw, help soften the left tackle problem? Because that's that's going to be a problem until I would say until, yes. We saw it last year. We we saw yeah exactly. Last year that's play, what I was going to say. We well saw it happen last year. Uh, we saw it happen last year. I think I think Chaz Green started two or three games at left tackle last year. And looked fine. Like everybody felt okay about Chaz Green coming in to play left tackle if he had to for a game or two. Uh, and then all of a sudden, uh, Adrian Claiborne happened. Right. And so I think that I think yes, it does. And one of the reasons why, and, and this was kind of. My second biggest takeaway from from the time without Zeke uh, is the Cowboys coaching staff sometimes seems like they're slow to adjust a little bit, um, but when they do, they don't like make subtle adjustments, right? They like mm-hmm. blow crap up. Like they were a little bit slow to adjust in the secondary. Like they kept Orlando Scandrick in, they kept playing uh, Anthony Brown, and then it was like, okay, screw it, we're blowing everything up. Kayvon Frazier is going to play thirty percent of the snaps at safety. Cheeto's going to be a full time outside player. We're going to play, and we're going to blow the whole secondary up in the middle of the season after Thanksgiving, and we're going to change it. And it worked, right? Uh, on the offensive side of the ball, they they didn't adjust very well against Atlanta, and they acknowledged it. They're like, okay, we didn't adjust well. We didn't do a good enough job of helping uh, our left tackle over there to kind of survive that game. And then what they did. Is they went like crazy far into into left field with some of the stuff they did. I mean, we and some of the stuff is like cool little twists on stuff they've already been doing. But like there were there were five guys, and I'm I'm counting Chris Jones in here. Five guys other than Alfred Morris, Rod Smith, or Dak Prescott that carried the ball in the last six games. <laughs> Three of them were wide receivers. One was a punter, and one was Darren McFadden, which we can. That's a whole other conversation, right. also. But. But you had three wide receivers carry the ball for a total of minus two yards. And we had we had two reverses off of speed options. We had one jet they ran one jet sweep where they actually gave him the ball. Then you get to fourth and one uh, when you have to fourth and less than a yard when you have to win the game against Oakland and you come out and empty under center, which you haven't showed all year long, which just screams to the other team exactly what you're going to do. And you run jet sweep action behind your quarterback when you're in empty. I don't know what you're trying to accomplish with that because you're not going to pull a linebacker out of an A-gap with jet sweep action. Sure. <laughs> like You're not going to do that on that situation. And so like they went crazy with some of these adjustments. The flea flicker we saw, and hey, Dak made a heck of a throw. I don't understand the two guys running straight verticals down the field on a flea flicker because you're not going to catch a free safety in a bind on a 50-yard pass down the field um, with a horizontal stretch like that. But again, they they just go into these like crazy adjustments, and they they almost went a little too far, in my opinion. Like there are things you can do to help your wide receivers get open against man coverage and get the ball into Des Bryant's hands without flipping him a reverse off of a speed option look the other way to try to catch a backside defensive end like running down the line of scrimmage and get some yardage. Like you can get six yards to Dez easy anytime you want it if you design it right in the pass game. Uh, you don't have to flip it to him off speed action. So again, I think there's just some some things that they tried to do that some of it was awesome. Like lining up in the pistol with Rod Smith next to next to Dak and motioning Cole Beasley in the backfield and running speed running the triple option off that. That stuff's neat. Like do that because that puts defenses in kind of weird situations even if you never pitch the ball 
but but some of the stuff like that they were doing it just got a little bit like just a little bit far <laughs> off of off of their identity as an offensive football team and it goes to to having Alfred Morris as the running back on in the goal to go situation the weird thing with the uh not going for it on fourth down and an inch at the goal line and, and things like that that they got away from because they didn't have confidence in their ability to call the simple plays that they usually sure. like to call and win like we hear brian brought talk about it all the time like play calling is easy for scott linehan with zeke and dak and des and all those guys you just you pull a play out of the hat and it's going to work because those guys are so good <laughs> right um but and it, like fourth and goal, all right, we're gonna run duo, and, De- and Zeke's gonna find a hole, and he's gonna score a touchdown. Right? It's easy. But, and and when Zeke's not there, it's fourth and one, and you got to run all this crazy action, it's empty formation, and all this stuff. And it just like some of it was just too much. And so I think that that like yes, he's that important. Yes, it's got the opportunity to go back to being this juggernaut of an offense. And I think some of the stuff you can keep, right? Like imagine Motion and Ryan Switzer into the backfield with Zeke next to Dak and showing like a triple option, like look off of that. Like you can do some crazy stuff with these guys that is really simple off of your base stuff without flipping reverses to wide receivers mm-hmm. and, and all this other kind of stuff. So yeah, rant, so we're, rant over on that one. We're, sure. we're, we're going to have to have some conversations about Linehan and the play calling. We're, we're going to save that for another day. Joey, thank you so much for coming on and dropping all the hot takes and the knowledge. We, we were so happy to have you. Come back here for draft season. We're going to make sure that we have lots of fire takes to spread, okay? Man, it's been my honor. I appreciate it, and I uh, most definitely will. That's it for today's show. Thank you guys for tuning in. Make sure you download and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Tomorrow we will preview that Cowboys game against Seattle. Landon will be back. Uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in. 